like it or not, the senior and elderly population is vulnerable to negligence committed by medical professionals, nursing home and assisted living facilities, pharmaceutical and medical device companies, insurance companies, and everyday individuals and businesses. The Injured Senior Podcast is here to help. Steve Heisler is the creator of the National Injured Senior Law Center and has been advocating for seniors' rights for over 20 years. You have questions, and Steve Heisler has answers. This is the Injured Senior Podcast. Hello, everyone in the Injured Senior community. This is Stephen Heisler, founder and CEO of the National Injured Senior Law Center, and you are dialed into a brand new episode of the Injured Senior Podcast. Now, the Injured Senior Podcast is a weekly show where we discuss issues of vital importance to the injured senior and injured elderly population, as well as to the children and caregivers uh, of the injured senior and injured elderly community. Sadly, the aging population in the United States uh, are taken advantage of, to name a few, by the medical, the pharmaceutical, long-term care, medical device, and financial industries. It is my priority to educate our listeners on how not to become an injured senior or injured elder. So I want to give a, uh, a heartfelt thank you to the National Injured Senior Law Center. They are sponsoring and supporting uh, this podcast. Uh, I didn't know if you knew this injured senior community, but there are over 100 million uh, seniors in the United States, uh, and it's growing, and it's growing like weeds. Uh, and the National Injured Senior Law Center are the advocates and represent seniors because, as I discussed earlier, uh, the uh, society in general has been very indifferent to the needs, especially the legal needs of the senior and elderly population. So, again, uh, we are just so happy that the National Injured Senior Law Center uh, is supportive of this program, this podcast, and we thank them. So, uh, we had Emmett Irwin, who uh, was on this uh, podcast back on episode 22, and he talked about early onset Alzheimer's and, uh, and dementia. He got me thinking about dementia and Alzheimer's, how unfair it is, how it's wreaked havoc on uh, individuals who are unlucky enough to have been diagnosed with this disease, uh, as well as it's wreaked havoc on their families, their caregivers, their loved ones. Dementia is an overall term used to describe symptoms that attack one's memory, performance of daily activities, and communication abilities. Now, there are several types of dementia. Alzheimer's uh, is the most common. Alzheimer's is a progressive disease. It gets worse with time, and it affects memory, language, and thought. Now, here's a statistic. And, you know, I like to throw out statistics, but this this really floored me. According to the Alzheimer's Drug Discovery Foundation, Alzheimer's is the number one public health crisis uh, of our time, impacting close to six million Americans. Now, think about that, folks. 
there's all these different types of of problems as far as public health issues uh, in the U.S. Cancer, uh, HIV, uh, all the different types of heart disease, but Alzheimer's is the number one public health crisis. And here's something else. The United States spends $290 billion a year on this disease. Now, are you sitting down? Furthermore, the yearly cost, according to the foundation, is projected to rise to $2 trillion by 2030 as baby boomers get older. Uh, Injured senior community, we have a problem. And the the first thing you want to you want to ask, or that I want to ask, is is there a cure around the corner for Alzheimer's? Now, experts are saying that a cure for neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's are challenging for several reasons, and I don't want to get into them right now. We could do a, a an entire show just on the challenges. However, there's nothing quite on the horizon. So, with nothing in the foreseeable future to end this ravaging disease, it begs the question, what, as a society, are we doing to make the suffering and the lives of Alzheimer's uh, individuals easier? What, what are we doing to, to make this, uh, until we find a cure, what do we do to make this experience better? Now... It's just that question uh, that we are going to be discussing today, and I am so happy to be able to introduce you to our guest, Benjamin Sermi. Now, empowering people to thrive, no matter what disability or cognitive disorders they may live with, is the focus of Benjamin's work as a social gerontologist. Uh, caregiver, activity director, lifelong learning center director, and home repair coordinator were each roles that shaped his understanding of the unique needs of seniors. Currently, he guides the person-centered training for over 2,100 employees in eight states and is currently implementing an evidence-based approach to care from France called Humanitude. He coaches 70-plus wellness directors and 32-plus executive directors who support over 1,500 seniors. Hello, Benjamin. Welcome to our show. How are you? Oh, hey. So glad to be here. Thanks for addressing this important topic today. Uh, It is, yeah, it is definitely uh, an epidemic uh, situation. So we definitely wanted to get somebody who just has the kind of knowledge that you have on here to discuss uh, this issue of innovation and making uh, life a little more bearable for uh, our uh, injured senior uh, Alzheimer patients. Um, Now, can you first tell our injured senior community what exactly is a social gerontologist? Yeah, so a gerontologist is really someone who studies the whole spectrum of aging. A geriatrician would be a doctor, um, you know, a, a, a nurse gerontologist is a nurse that studies aging. A social gerontologist really looks at all the aspects, the medical aspects, the financial aspects, environment, housing, social programming, uh, psychology. Like we look at all the different aspects of aging as kind of one holistic whole. And then 
are we're often called upon as consultants to government, consultants to uh, industry, to nonprofits, to any any type of group that's trying to serve uh, seniors, serve people fifty and over um, in any way. Um, so that that's in a nutshell what a social gerontologist does. Right, and like LeBron James says, you decided to take your talents to Kolsch Communities in Vancouver, Washington. Is that uh, where you're working now? Yes, yes. I work with the Kelsch family. They've, uh, they were actually one of the very first people in the, in the country, in the United States, to start assisted living way back in the 70s when really there wasn't a concept of assisted living. They wow. created one of the first on record, which has been really fun to work with a family who has that kind of pioneering vision. That's great. Now, you're an expert in, in dementia and Alzheimer's. Has that been your main focus as a social gerontologist? You know, it, it grew into that. And uh, while I have a lot of different interests, uh, such as connecting seniors to their families through technology or you know various things, dementia has really played a huge role in my world because it's one of the areas that has the most unanswered questions, the most problems that have yet to be solved, right? There's a lot of different issues related to aging. We've got some good strategies. We've got some good things in place, but the world of dementia is still so in need of innovation. And so there's just a lot to do there. So what, what are your overall thoughts on the state of innovation and making uh, life uh, a better, uh, you know, a better thing for our Alzheimer uh, suffers? Well, I think first of all, um, we are in an interesting time in which we're finally, as a culture, uh, at least at the fringes of the culture, realizing, hey, this is not a medical issue. This is not a healthcare issue. This is not a long-term care issue. This is a cultural issue. And so you already saw, I think it was five years ago, 10 years ago in the United Kingdom, a real movement to change culture's understanding of dementia. So you look at the dementia-friendly movement in the UK, and they've trained millions of regular, everyday people, uh, waiters, waitresses, police officers, bank tellers, call center representatives, in how do you work with a neighbor, a client, a customer who has dementia? And their, their thesis is that if we as a culture can change the way we interact with people with dementia, that they will not be suffering as much as they do. Uh, let me give you a quick example. You know, in the sure. 80s, we said, you know what? In the United States, if you have a wheelchair, if you're blind, that should not keep you out of the supermarket. That should not keep you out of the bank. So we passed all kinds of rules that make it mandatory that if you're going to build a new building that serves the public, it has better be accessible to someone who cannot see, to someone who cannot use their legs the way other people can use their legs. But we haven't really done that in how we think about dementia. And so a lot of people look at dementia and say, well, this is the worst disease that could ever be. This is, this is huge suffering and it's all the disease's fault. But if you step back a little bit, you start to realize a lot of the suffering involved in dementia is actually because our communities aren't set up to support people with cognitive challenges. 
And so the dementia-friendly movement in the UK has now come to the United States, and it's still in its infancy, but all over different states, you're starting to see these dementia-friendly movements that are training banks, training bus drivers, training restaurants. How do you support someone with dementia when they walk in your, your establishment? How do you help them have a good experience even though they don't know how to count their change or their loss or they don't know where their, where their shopping list is? How do you help them so that they walk away feeling like a, a valued member of your community versus they had a horrible time, someone yelled at them, and the police had to come and pick them up? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Right, that's uh, that's that's not a uh, desirable outcome from that from that type of situation. <laughs> yes. Well, can you give a couple of examples of maybe uh, some things? I understand you talk about banks and and restaurants, but what are some um, more tangible things that they're doing in the banks and the restaurants uh, and in the community in general uh, to help Alzheimer's uh, victims? Yeah. So, for instance. Um, let's say we're going to train the um, folks at a, um, a Macy's department store or some sort of um, clothing establishment, right? Well, we might teach the employees that work there, all right, when someone comes in and they're exhibiting these different symptoms, there's a good chance they may have dementia, right? Don't worry. Don't freak out. Don't assume this is this, they shouldn't be here. They have every right to be here to shop in our, 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 you know, your establishment. So how can we help them, right? So then we might walk them through explaining that if they see a mirror, they might get very concerned because they see someone that looks familiar but not familiar and it might make them agitated. So we might teach them, hey, if you're seeing them in front of a mirror and they're starting to talk to the mirror or something, lead them gently away from the mirror so that they're not frustrated by what they're seeing. Or instead of asking them, what do you want? Maybe show them a, a pair of pants and a pair of shoes and say, are you looking for shoes or are you looking for pants, right? And so make it really easy, limit the number of choices that are available so that they can focus on the decision that you're asking them to make, right? And so we might give very specific tools to help the employees of an establishment like that better treat their customers. Is that what you were asking? Yes, yes. And I'm not trying to sound insensitive, and this is a very genuine question, because I don't know. I don't have anyone in my direct family that has Alzheimer's. But are is it common for people, uh, especially, I guess, with early onset Alzheimer's, to actually uh, go shopping unattended? Uh, I mean, is that more of the rule now or uh, more you know more of a day-to-day -day thing that we can expect to see or we are seeing well so let me put it this way the one of the reasons why we don't see as much of that right is because we have communities across america that are not dementia friendly so it, it becomes almost life-threatening to leave your house if you have dementia right it becomes almost uh, a, a risky thing to do because you might not make it home alive, right? So part of the movement is to help people realize that this is a, uh, this is kind of like cancer. We have learned to live with cancer, whereas in the 50s, you, could, you wouldn't even talk about it. Like you would not even mention the word cancer because it was considered terrible. In the 80s, you didn't tell people you had HIV because you would lose your friends. They wouldn't let you sit in the, in the bathroom. They were afraid you'd give it to them by sitting on the toilet, right? 
That's our situation today with dementia. It is considered the worst disease. It's so stigmatized you can lose your job if someone finds out you have it. And so even if you have it at the early stages, you are hush-hush about it because everybody will start treating you like a different kind of human being. So the movement around the world now is to shape the way we see dementia so that we can become a greater, more welcoming community for people with dementia. And one day, if this doesn't get cured, just like cancer hasn't been cured, diabetes hasn't been cured, we may be living with this for the next 50 years to 100 years, but we need to be able to live with it, not suffer with it, right? We need to be able to live with it the same way we can live with diabetes and cancer. So no, you're right. Right now you would see a lower population of people who are still shopping on their own, you'd be surprised how many are, right? And you just don't know they have dementia. Um, a lot of the time we're thinking when we talk in industry, we're talking about people at the later stages, right? We're talking people who are living in a nursing home, living in memory care, they have home care at home, and they need help with their daily um, their daily tasks, right? That's a kind of a, another group, but that group's care is directly influenced by how the culture sees dementia how a caregiver approaches that little old lady sitting in a chair with dementia who can't put her own pants on, how she thinks about that lady is directly influenced by the way her culture thinks about dementia in general. And so the bigger movement is important so that those small care interactions in a nursing home become respectful and dignified because we're still dealing with all the stigma from the culture that then plays into the long-term care facility where we're seeing these people as a different kind of human. That That is well said, well put. And uh, yeah, uh, it, it definitely is something that needs to be addressed and, and you should be congratulated for at least being one of the uh, leaders in having this addressed and putting this agenda, uh, making this agenda uh, very important uh, to, you know, to all of us in the United States. And, I heard you on another podcast in which you talked about if a dementia patient uh, dis- not disappears but gets lost or is it, for whatever reason uh, didn't come home, what is it that the Japanese do, uh, which definitely shows yeah. that it's a dementia-friendly country? What do they do when when they need when when a, an, an Alzheimer's patient uh, is can't be found? Yep. So. In Japan, they do, like we do earthquake drills, they do wander drills. Because one of the words, and it's, a, it's really a terrible word, with, but the word is used very frequently, the senior with dementia wandered away, right? They're wandering from home. That means they left the home, nobody knows where they are. That's what that, that tends to mean. Unfortunately, we use a word like wander that makes it sound terrible, when really there's just unsafe and safe leaving, right? We all leave our home every day. There's no reason a person with dementia shouldn't be able to leave their home. We just need to help them leave their home safely. But anyway, they call it wander drills. And what they do is they list on a, in a directory all the people in town who are at risk of leaving their home in an unsafe way who have dementia. And then what they'll do is they'll practice and an alert will go out to neighbors, to citizens, to volunteers, to businesses, to the police, and they will practice what to do, how to find this person. So they'll have a a fake person or they'll have a person that is, you know, doing this as a volunteer, right? And they're going to go try to find this person. They happen to be sitting in a park or something, right? And so they'll practice finding this person. That way, when someone does wander away from home in the middle of the night, 
uh, the elderly spouse can call a, a number and say, hey, my loved one has dementia. They've just wandered away from home. I don't know where they are. Bam, this whole network goes into play, knowing this person's picture, knowing what they look like, and they work to find them as quickly as possible. Because as you know, that's one of the greatest risks of living with dementia is wandering away from where you're safe, and then now you're, you're hurting in a park on the side of the road, and nobody knows where you are. So is, is that what we are endeavoring to do here in the United States? Uh, is that, uh, where are we as far as getting something like that uh, becoming a reality? I have not seen any movement in the U.S. in that particular regard. I think the closest thing we have is our silver alert system in many states, where if a senior who has dementia is driving a car, we let everybody know the license plate and you see on the, on the um, as you're driving on the freeway, silver alert, silver alert, here's the mic of the car. That's probably an elder with dementia who's driving away and they really shouldn't be driving their car. Yeah, wow. That, yeah, if, if we could have that type of communication uh, to, to our communities when uh, an Alzheimer's sufferer is, has wandered away, uh, that would really, really be a, a fantastic thing. And um, hopefully that will come to fruition very soon. Um, quick note while, while yes. we're on this real quick. Um, and I, I do not say this in any way to, to correct you because it's very easy to use this language and it's very common. However, people living with dementia have formed an alliance called the, um, uh, it's a, the uh, Dementia Action Alliance. And these are people living with dementia who tell the United Nations and other important bodies, hey, this is how we want to be treated. And one of the things that they tell us is they do not want us to ever say dementia sufferers, Alzheimer's sufferers, or Alzheimer's patient. They say, if you're going to talk about us, say a person living with dementia. He says, we are living. We are finding ways to live creatively. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's challenging. But we're the only ones who have the right to say we're suffering. No one else in the, in the world has the right to say that we're suffering, only us. And so we want you to focus on the fact that we're a person and that we are living with dementia. So the, the terms that we use now when we're writing about dementia, when we're talking about it, is a person living with dementia. And that's kind of the, the way we respect the requests of these, these people living with dementia who are advocating for people like themselves at the United Nations and other, other bodies. Yeah, uh, no, me message received. I, I, I will never use that term again. <laughs> and <laughs> it makes so much sense. It's actually, uh, the, do they also not like the, the word victims? Cause, Correct, yes, definitely. Yeah. definitely. All right, so Alzheimer's victims, Alzheimer's sufferers should not be part of our vocabulary when referencing to a person living with Alzheimer's. And funny story, just to kind of give you why that's important. One of the, the president of this organization has dementia. She's had it verified three times by three different neurologists. Not that she needed it verified. She knew she had something wrong, right? Um, but she speaks, right, and advocates at the United Nations level. She has different supports to help her do this. Um, and she has physicians constantly telling her there's no way you have dementia. If you had dementia, you'd be suffering. You'd be this way. You'd be this way. And so she, here she is living with dementia. She's proof that she's got it. And physicians will refuse to believe that she has dementia because she has found a way to live well 
when physicians are often, not all physicians, but the physicians she's talking to, are used to seeing a person with dementia in a wheelchair, all shriveled up, unable to do anything. And here she is advocating in the United Nations. So they can't believe it because the cultural perception is so strong that this is what dementia does to a person. Wow. And we don't realize that part of what dementia does to a person is actually how people treat the person. There's a program out of France called Humanitude that I'm very interested in, and we've been starting to experiment with it here in the United States. They're in Japan and France and other um, nations across the country. But one of their primary principles, they've been, they've been training nurses for, 20, for 40 years, is the way we treat elders, even unconsciously, actually creates some of their disabilities. And for, for instance, one it's of self, the basic it's a self-fulfilling ways, prophecy. Is that, exactly, right? exactly. Because yeah. one of the ways we tell other human beings that they're human are through excellent eye contact, through speech, the way we continue to talk to somebody, through the way we touch them. As we grow in our dementia or our just uh, you know frailty, we act. We have proof, literal proof, evidence that people stop looking into their eyes the same number of minutes that we look into someone without dementia. And so what we find is when we start reversing that and nurses gaze into the eyes much longer than you normally would and do some other techniques that reinforce that this person is a human being, people are walking again, people talk again, people start responding in life again the way they weren't before. So it just, it validates that idea that we can actually create the disability by the way we treat somebody. Yeah, yeah, that that uh, that's that's very revealing, um, and like I said, it's it's a self fulfilling prophecy. So you you want to start treating uh, people living with Alzheimer's like they're people. They've got um, they've got a, a a disease, but they're you know, they're not lepers. Uh, that's right. And yeah, um, one thing too. Also, I noticed uh, in an article I read uh, that. One of the cutting-edge Alzheimer practices that are being um, done at your place of employment over at Kelsch Communities in uh, Vancouver, Washington, is hearing support. Uh, that they actually found that people living with Alzheimer's uh, were not understanding what people were saying or what, um, and they just were having problems uh, hearing things. And that was being mistaken for a symptom of the Alzheimer's. Is that correct? That's right. That's exactly right. Yes. And so we, we partner with a, a program called Eversound, and they've created um, wireless headphones that are also compatible with hearing aids. And uh, our team can has microphones, and we're able to then speak wirelessly to residents who are wearing these headphones. And so what it does is a person with dementia generally has hearing loss because I think the statistics are like 90% of everybody over 80 has you know, hearing loss or something like that. And, um, and they have dementia, which means they're probably missing 40 to 60% of what you're already saying. So you've got dementia and you've got hearing loss. You have a terrible, uh, terrible whirlwind of problems there. Right. And so being able to cut out extraneous noise and then get the words right to the eardrums gives them a better chance of hearing things. And just quick example on that. We had a woman sure. living in one of our communities and every day at one o'clock, the team would take her to her nap because her family said she always takes a nap at noon or one o'clock, make sure she takes her nap. And every day she would 
literally try to beat up the nurses. Well, we, we started using this new tool and they put the headphones on this woman and they said, hey, we're taking you to your nap. Your family says it's your nap time. And she's like, so that's what this has been about every day. I don't like naps. I don't want a nap. So we don't give her a nap anymore because we were able to talk to her and she was able to tell us what she really wanted. Wow. One simple adjustment totally really changed her life. Exactly. Uh, yeah, could have, that could have turned out a, a, a lot worse. Uh, so, Benjamin, I want to tell you that this has been so, so educational, and it's just r- really, really refreshing to hear what uh, what you're doing along with um, the Alzheimer's innovation community. Uh, and I think that good things are, are down the road as far as at least making uh, people living with Alzheimer's, making it easier for them to exist in society and and uh that, that's just phenomenal um you should definitely be congratulated uh and we are definitely going to want to have you back uh unfortunately we're out of time uh but a heartfelt thanks for appearing on today's show um hey thank you and thank you for your advocacy for seniors it, it means a lot absolutely now benjamin uh, if any of our listeners want to engage with you, what is the best way for them to uh, to find you? I'm on LinkedIn. If they just type in Benjamin Sermi, and I can certainly send you my LinkedIn uh, link that you could post uh, with the podcast. Okay. Uh, uh, what about uh, our... D- do you have an email if they want to email you? Yes, or, or? absolutely. It's just What's a hard email. email. <laughs> it's a hard email to remember. It's BMS for Benjamin Michael Sermi. And it's at KelshSenior.com, K-O-E-L-S-C-H, Senior.com. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah, we definitely want to have uh, going to have you back because uh, we can dig a little deeper down and talk more about Alzheimer's innovation. Beautiful. So, injured senior community, thank you for listening to today's episode. Again, I'd like to give a special thank you to today's guest, Benjamin Sermi, and that's S-U-R as in Ricky, M as in Mary, I as in ice cream. If you love the Injured Senior Podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Uh, if you want to share your story on an upcoming show or consult with me about a legal issue, just email me at steve at injured, I-N-J-U-R-E-D, seniorhotline.com. Thanks again. So glad to share this time with you, folks. And until next time, have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Injured Senior Podcast with Steve H. Heisler. If you enjoyed the podcast, Please rate, subscribe, review, and share on Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. To find out more or to get help anytime, go to InjuredSeniorHotline.com or call 855-622-6530. We'll see you next time.